The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Marshall Matters with me, Winston Marshall, at the Spectator Buildings in London. Today I'm joined by comedy legend, multi-BAFTA winning, creator of Father Ted, Black Books, The IT Crowd and writer for Brass Eye, The Day to Day, The Fast Show and other shows, Graham Linehan. Graham Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. So I watched these shows growing up. This is very special for me. But what I just learned is that actually you started in music. Yeah. How did you get from music to comedy? Well, I was a music journalist in a magazine called Hot Press in Dublin. And Arthur Matthews, who went on to write TED with me, was the art layout guy. And this was a time when magazines, the way they printed the magazine was... Like, if you made a mistake, you had to cut out the word and post it over the copy and then photocopy it or something and send it off. So this was pre-computers. So the, the last weekend before publication was grindingly slow and boring. An author and a man named Paul Woodfull, who we nicknamed Paul Wonderful, used to kind of carry on a, a comedy routine between themselves that would just have us all in stitches. And I really kind of fell in love with, with Arthur especially. What was the routine? They had a few. One of the things they did was they pretended to be inner-city Dublin taekwondo instructors. And they, they had a joke that when taekwondo comes from two words, two Korean words, tae meaning head or intellect, and kwondo meaning to batter. You know, and they had stuff like this. And also, Paul was in a band called the Joshua Trio that Arthur drummed for. And every so often, Arthur would, when Paul was doing a costume change, I think it was, Arthur would come out from behind a drum kit and put a dog collar in. And he would do this character called Father Ted. You know, one of our favourite jokes he did was he said, if there's anyone at the back who can't see, say hello to them. They're from St. Kevin's School for the Blind. So, you know, it was not just, like, funny. It was, like, sophisticated and funny. It was... It was really strong stuff. And I was noticing that on TV, the stuff wasn't as strong. I thought, these jokes are better crafted than what we're seeing on TV. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, it was not that much of a jump to ask him to come to London, which I did when Select Magazine, which was the big Britpop magazine, I think you could say, brought me over to write for them. And I said to Arthur, will you, will you come over and, and join us and we'll give it a go? So he came over and you created Father Ted, the yeah. TV show. Yeah, although we kind of, um, like, he thought he'd be over for a few months, and he ended up staying 10 years. Like, you know, we started off writing sketches and handing them into radio shows because we were told that radio was, was the way in. But then one day we were looking at Smith & Jones, Griff jones and Mel Smith's show, and there was a list of writers at the end, and it went on for ages. And I realised, oh, my God, they probably take submissions. So we sent in a few sketches to them, and got called in for a meeting almost immediately. So ever since then, it's been, you know, Griff got us our agent. You know, we were able to hand scripts directly in, or ideas for sitcoms directly into Talkback, and then to Hattrick. 
And it just took off from there, really. You know, we were learning as we went. We didn't know how to write a sitcom. But, in fact, our first sitcom was a disaster because we would write them to be 40 minutes long and we wouldn't cut it down because we were kind of digging our heels in and thinking that, oh, they're trying to, they're trying to take out our jokes. But then, of course, when it got into the edit, we had to cut it down to 29 minutes. You know, I, I remember once, I, I think I asked someone, can we ask Channel 4 just not to run ads? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that was a real lesson in humility and something I've borne in mind ever since, which is that the people who are giving you notes aren't trying to ruin your show, they're trying to help you. Ah. When Father Ted came along, we had a great producer in Jeffrey Perkins, who had a very light touch, but would steer us towards telling stronger stories, getting funnier moments out of what we had. He had a great phrase, he used to say, I think you're missing a trick here. And I loved hearing that because it it meant that we were about to discover a whole new area of comedy that we didn't realise was there. He sadly died recently and wonderful man. Also produced The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ah. True English gentleman, lovely bloke. So, you know, through tutorship from, from someone like Jeffrey and some other brilliant producers we worked with, like Shauna William and Lisa Evans, we just learned, learned on the job, you yeah. know. And you've also, I didn't mention this earlier, now have a new side of your life, which is that you're a women's rights activist, and that has clashed with your work on Doctor Who. Doctor Who? uh, Sorry, forgive me. (laughs) Father Ted. Yeah. Where your Father Ted musical was axed apparently because of your controversial opinions. What was the story with the musical? Well, my my controversial opinions are not actually very controversial. They're shared by the vast majority of people in this country that you shouldn't give kids surgical interventions and pharmaceutical interventions that might have long-lasting effects, that women don't deserve to lose their livelihoods for being feminists. Mm that J.K. Rowling doesn't deserve to have death and rape threats sent to her, that male prisoners shouldn't be placed in a female estate, Mm -hmm. that NHS wards should be women only. Like, these are not controversial opinions. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, we have a kind of a middle class now that is captured by all these, you know, absurd ideas. And the kind of false consensus they've created around these issues comes about through intimidation and force and cancelling and so on. Mm -hmm. So I knew that if I started talking about this, I noticed that women online were were beginning to be vilified and harassed out of their jobs and all this. So I I realised that if I started speaking about it more clearly and explicitly, I'd be in trouble. I had a spot of cancer a few years ago that was easily taken care of, but I got a nice insurance payout from it. So I said to my wife you know, I'm going to start talking about this and they're going to come after my livelihood. Mm. So we can use this money to keep going until the TED musical happens. Mm -hmm. Because I thought the TED musical would be too big to cancel, so to speak. Unfortunately, then COVID came along and extended the time we were waiting to get it done. And during that time, I was banned from Twitter for saying men aren't women. And um, Men aren't women, though, was the exact tweet. Men aren't women, though. And the narrative around me began to consistently say that I was Mm anti-trans. You know, that's what my Wikipedia entry says. And if ever I try to change it, it changes back within 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So there was a kind of a... Because up until that point, I was the biggest account on Twitter talking about this issue. It was before J.K. Rowling came onto the scene. I was a big target, Uh you know. So you knew going into it that this would be the case. You said just now, you told your wife... I'm going to get a lot of pushback for this, for these opinions. So do you have any 
regrets about going into it? And if you knew you had pushback, did you know to what extent it would happen? That's the only regret I have. I didn't know they would come after my wife. I didn't know they would release her address online. Hmm. And I didn't know that people would privately get in touch with her and tell her to tell me to stop talking. She came under a lot of pressure. If I thought about it a bit longer, I would have taken steps to protect her more. But, you know, I was eager to get into the fight because I was seeing what mermaids were doing to young children and the Tavistock, Mm -hmm. which is the gender identity clinic that's been closed down soon. And I thought, this is too much of an emergency to to rest on our laurels. We Mm -hmm. have to fight it straight away. You know, I saw people like Kathleen Stock getting bullied, mm-hmm. Maya Forstadter losing her job, Alison Phillips being bullied by her chambers. Alison Bailey. Sorry, Bailey. Yeah. Alison Bailey. And I just thought it would be immoral mm-hmm. to ignore all these things. Yeah. You know? Where do you think that the passion to stand up against this injustice, as you've noticed it, came from? I was bullied at school. You know, I was very tall. So I would try and shrink down. It's where I've got my... I've got a bit of a stoop and I, I would try and hide. And my parents had this thing where they basically told me never to hit back. Mm-hmm. You know, my mum was this, you know, like a lot of mums in the world, terrified of anything happening to me. So I, I would hold back when I was being subjected to things. Mm. And I think the kind of anger grew in me then at any kind of bullying. And I especially don't like bullying against women because like as a friend of mine says, Debbie Hayden, she describes trans rights activists as the bullies even the other bullies hated at school, mm. the bullies who bully girls. Mm. And that's what they are. They mm. are despicable cowards who mm. pick on women. Mm. So it's just my number one. I just hate bullies. Yeah. <laughs> so back to Doctor Who, the musical. <laughs> Sorry, I've done it again. I'll tell, you, no, but we'll, I'll tell you why I've done Doctor Who again. is because I had James Dreyfus on the show and yeah. he was eradicated from... Doctor Who for signing the J.K. Rowling letter, which I believe you... No, it wasn't a J.K. Rowling letter. Uh, no, sorry. It, was, it was a Stonewall letter. A Stonewall letter. Where, okay. And this is a, a really important point to point out. Right at the beginning of this fight, we wrote a letter to Stonewall. Mm-hmm. Me, a lot of other gay people, trans people, lesbians. Sorry, that's covered by gay people. You know, all these people who were aware of what was going on, we all signed a letter saying, could Stonewall take steps to reduce the toxicity of the debate and open up the conversation about some of the changes they're Mm -hmm. suggesting. Mm -hmm. And within the day, they wrote back to say, no, we won't. Mm -hmm. And that's why James got cancelled. I see. So to Father Ted the musical, what happened there? You're about to do the show, COVID happened, and then they closed it down and said, no, it's not going to happen. Yeah, we we got it on its feet partially twice. We did a read-through with the songs, or I think we did a read-through maybe without the songs or, or with just very simplified versions of the songs. And then we did another read-through where we choreographed how the songs might look and so on and played that to some of the people involved. And they both went great. The show feels ready to go. Perhaps a little bit of rewriting is needed, but not much. And yeah, but unfortunately, throughout all this period, I kept getting intermittent demands to stop talking about the issue. Mm-hmm. But again, we're talking about the health of children. Demands from who? The producers, my colleagues. One of my colleagues actually rang my wife and put pressure on her to tell her to stop. Surely that's a line that unacceptable to cross. The person involved, which I was thinking of naming him, but the person involved still hasn't, hasn't apologised, mm. you know. He put pressure on my 
marriage when mm -hmm. we were under a huge amount of pressure already mm -hmm. because trans rights activists had targeted my wife and myself mm -hmm. and were doing everything they could to keep me quiet. Mm -hmm. So for him to join in that is pretty low, I think. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so this happened and eventually I was so frustrated by all this. I wrote this letter to Hattrick, who were the producers of Father Ted. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Mulville is Hattrick and Sonia Friedman of Sonia Friedman Productions is like one of the biggest producers in the West End mm -hmm. and Arthur and Neil Hannan as well. Mm -hmm. And I said, basically, um, I'm living under a bit of a cloud when I don't think you all have my back as collaborators or as business partners or as friends. Far from being on the wrong side of history, J.K. Rowling and I have been proved right over and over again. This is a poisonous ideology that is destroying lives and both sides are not to blame for the toxicity. Mm -hmm. I said, Sonia, you know how J.K. Because Sonia is a friend of J.K. Rowling's. I said, Sonia, you know how J.K. Rowling has suffered and how her heart must break every day. And I finished by saying, stop telling me to stop standing up for her and my daughter. My daughter is not a cervix haver. She is a woman and she is my daughter. Don't anyone dare use Ted as leverage to make me abandon my daughter or I will simply take it elsewhere. That might have been a little strong, I guess. <laughs> so at the end, I basically just said, I said, I'm sorry to have to put it in such strong terms, but these people are monsters and everyone needs to start standing up to them. I can't force you to be brave, but I can ask you to stop adding to the pressure that is currently on me. I will not abandon my daughter. And then I got a call from Jimmy Mulville saying, come to London for a meeting. And at the late meeting, he told me they didn't want me involved with the musical. Wow. And they offered me £200,000 to walk away from it. Uh-huh. I mean, when you talk about your daughter like that, earlier in the conversation, you say you want to stand up to bullies, but also the love of a father for his daughter, to protect his daughter, that surely would resonate with, with everyone. I just don't understand it. Like, I remember I said to Jimmy Mulville, what have I said that you disagree with? And he rolled his eyes. Mm. I still don't know. Mm -hmm. I still don't know what they disagree with. Yeah. You know? And I just don't understand how... And there are other colleagues on the show who have wives and who have daughters. Mm -hmm. And I just don't understand how they can't be fighting this stuff. Mm -hmm. This is the most pernicious, anti-female, misogynistic movement I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Well, I look back at your career in activism. You were in Ireland fighting to repeal the 8th, so i.e. a pro-choice position which came into law in 2018. And it seems to me from a progressive point of view, there is a consistency in you standing for women then, and then again now standing for women in the trans debate. Why do you think it is that so many other progressives, perhaps most other progressives, have taken a different course against women and children and for trans rights? Well, I would edit that slightly simply by saying that it's not so much against trans rights, it's against a version of trans rights that is directly opposed to women's rights. One of the ironies of this whole thing is that I'm friends with more trans people than the people calling me transphobic. And they are, you know, distraught at what's been happening, supposedly in their name, mm -hmm. you know. Debbie Hayton is a good example. Miranda Yardley is another one. They both find this as insane as I do. Mm -hmm. But their voices are ignored because this is an ideological battle. It's not an ethical battle. Mm -hmm. This is a battle of ideas. And if you have the wrong idea at this particular time, I don't know. I mean, I guess you can call it cancel culture, although that sometimes seems like not quite the right phrase. But everyone is frightened. Mm -hmm. Everyone would rather it go away, which is why they offered me so much money to go away from Ted. Did you take the money? No, I considered it for a while. And I even started working on a statement with Jimmy Mulville, you know, that protected me and... 
made things not seem so like I was being punished for something. But then one day I was listening to an interview with a teammate of Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas is the hulking man who is cheating at women's swimming and was on a team with these young women. And the mother of one of the teammates was being interviewed and she burst into tears because she was recounting how her daughter said, I don't know what I can do when, if he comes in when I'm changing. And this mother said, she says, I'm crying because it's, it's 2022 and I have to tell my daughter that she has every right to privacy. Mm-hmm. And she literally doesn't know she has that right. Mm-hmm. And this woman was in tears and I just thought, I'm not going to agree to any, anything. This, yeah. is, this is monstrous what's happening to women. Yeah. So I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take the money. You know, I genuinely thought they'd go, okay, we, we were a bit silly. Let's get it back on the road, you know, because the show is so good and so perfect and so nearly there. But no, apparently they'll only make the show if I die or something. <laughs> they didn't actually say that. No, but do you know what I mean? What else are they waiting for? Can you take us into the world of production comedy? Are these people, are they scared of the controversy that they'll get in the press? Or do they believe the ideology? Do they believe you're wrong? Where do they stand on it, do you think? It's when hard to I, speculate, but, but if we can speculate. Oh, I, can, I think I know what's happening. I mean, I spoke to Jimmy a few times, and Jimmy, both Jimmy and Sonia shared what have become thought-terminating cliches that are fed to people so that they say the correct thing. Jimmy said, there's bad behaviour on both sides of the argument, which is not true. I asked him to name some bad behaviour from our side, and he couldn't. And Sonia Friedman said I was on the wrong side of history. These are just... So these are just cliches trotted out by trans rights activists mm. because they don't have any arguments. They mm-hmm. don't actually have any arguments. Or that they've perhaps not really looked into it yeah. very much. They don't particularly care about the issue. In a, yeah, exactly. Say, and, along with it. I mean, you know, J.K. Rowling being a bigot is accepted by, like, millions of people. Mm-hmm. And yet there's not a shred of evidence of this mm-hmm. bigotry, yeah. you know. So it's basically just fear of, fear of young people, fear of the young people in their companies, Fear of their own kids, who I think have them held hostage a lot of the time with, with these opinions. And so what do you mean by that? I think kids are telling their parents the usual kind of, you know, things like the debunked suicide statistics, the debunked statistics about the safety of puberty blockers. None of these things stand up, but the lines of argument, they endure mm. no matter what. Again, J.K. Rowling, you know, the fact that she's toxic, it's enduring despite all evidence. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they're just kind of in this middle-class bubble of people who believe this fashionable, evil ideology. To, I think, support your argument that against the idea that there are bad people on both sides, if you look at the debate and who's actually suffering consequences for their opinions, and I've had a lot of these guests on the show. I've already mentioned James Dreyfus, and we've talked about J.K. Rowling, who people say, oh, she's not cancelled, she can still speak. Well, actually, she's still having professional repercussions for her opinions, not to mention the bigotry and the death threat she's endlessly receiving. But also on this show, I've had Rosie Kay, who had to force to resign from her dance company for having gender critical opinions. I've, on a separate event, spoken to Jester Wells, who in art was forced to, uh, I think it's the Royal Academy, where she was had her work taken down and fortunately reinstated. And in music, and when she I come from, Craig Potter of Elbow was wiped from social media for being supportive of children and worrying about, I think it was mermaids. Christian Henson as well at Spitfire Music. He founded Spitfire, co-founded Spitfire Music and he was suspended from that. So it seems to me that it's the gender critical, 
people who are standing up for women's rights who are being punished for their opinions. And on the other side, I don't see the punishment as much. No, no, yeah. there's no punishment. But the punishment makes you think there must have been a crime. Mm. But there has been no crime. And also, the other thing about cancel culture is that it's not just artists that are being affected. There's a social, social worker, her name is Rachel Mead, being subjected to endless investigations because she shared one of my blogs. The guy from Spitfire actually was, was in trouble for sharing something I said. Yeah. I've known a detective who was fired from her job. I know a woman who lost her chance to be a foster carer because she said she wouldn't transition a child, yeah. you know. It's affecting people at every level of society. Yeah. When people say cancel culture, they immediately think of people like Rowling and people like myself. But it's affecting everyone. Yeah. It, and it's affecting ordinary people, worst of all. Because, you know, Rachel Mead, she's not a billionaire. Mm. So she can't fight with as much gusto and bravery as, as Rowling. She's much more exposed and much more vulnerable to, as I say, this ideology that has just kind of swept through the middle class like, mm-hmm. a, like a, a forest fire, you yeah. know? Well, if we could stick to comedy just for a little bit mm-hmm. more, because another noticeable cancellation was the scene from the IT crowd that was removed from Channel 4 in 2020, where one of the characters falls in love with a trans mm. woman, mm. If, if that's correct. It was actually a whole episode. A whole episode. They've taken the whole episode offline, yeah. Okay, so because what happened there? They wrote a letter that was full of stonewall talking points, none of which are true. Uh-huh. The idea that trans people are under some sort of violent threat all the time, it's a lie. It's based on nothing. It's actually based on the murder rates of Brazilian trans-identified prostitutes, where it's not the fact that they're trans that's leading to these murders. It's the fact that they're sex workers. Mm. They fed me this line of bullshit and said, that's why we're taking it off. I'm sure you understand. And they offered me the use of a PR to kind of limit the damage, you know. But I just told them to fuck off. Yeah. You know, because it's outrageous, outrageous that so they, they found the that. scene itself was offensive. Yeah, they were saying it was promoting violence against trans people. But it's just a, it's an action-packed parody of Matrix films with the two of them fighting. Huh. You know, it's basically, even if there had been no fight, the episode would have still been banned. Mm-hmm. Because what they don't like is humour. They hate humour. They hate any thought of anyone making a joke about anything to do with trans because trans like the priesthood in Ireland trans in the UK at the moment is a sacred class you know trans people are a sacred class and you're not allowed to make fun of them you're not allowed to criticize you're not allowed to do anything and because I I wrote an episode where I just didn't observe any of these absurd taboos they had to get rid of it Mm, you know so despite what might appear like a very pessimistic time from our conversation so far, I would say that 2022 has, you've indicated on many fronts, and you could see it pretty positively, the Tavistock Clinic, which is the NHS-run gender clinic offering sex change surgery and puberty blockers for children, at the expense of the British taxpayer, has been told to close by spring next year. Elon Musk is offering a Twitter amnesty, it was supposed to be this week, you haven't yet been reinstated, but there's a good chance that you will be reinstated and just moments ago we learned that the charity commission are having a statutory inquiry into mermaids these are all things well certainly to have a stock and mermaids as well as other issues are things that you've been calling out for years now do you feel vindicated yeah but you know i always felt vindicated <laughs> in the sense that like 
I knew we were right. I knew we were right. I mean, when you think about it, a part of the NHS that gives sex change operations to children, like, how did anyone come to think that that was on any level acceptable, mm-hmm. you know? So vindication, it's not as sweet as it should be for me because there was never any doubt in my mind that I'd be vindicated, mm-hmm. you know? It's just like, I'm just waiting for people to catch up. And unfortunately, even with all these advances, women are still losing their livelihoods. This ideology has kind of permeated into institutions all over the UK, disastrously, most of all, education, I think. What's so disastrous about education? Because it's incubating or inculcating, I'm not sure what the word is, these ideas into the next generation. And it is a form of grooming. It's a form of ideological grooming. And children have much less of a defense against it than we grown-ups do. We're being controlled by fear and intimidation. But kids, kids will believe anything you tell them. What do you think needs to be done in education to fix that? The activist teachers have to be rooted out. Activist teachers are a real problem. One thing that really can be done, parents need to make sure that they're talking to their schools and saying, I hope you're not telling our kids that they can be born in the wrong body or that some men are women or whatever, you Mm. know. So... I think, you know, again, with more awareness, with the mermaid story breaking, becoming a bigger scandal every day, I think that there's a chance we can fight back against it. But, you know, when you see NHS documents calling women cervix havers, or when you see NHS documents saying that our sex is assigned at birth by, you know, a doctor who's bored, that's a real problem. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder how long it's going to take to extricate it from society really Mm -hmm. what's your take on on mermaids do you think that they're salvageable as a a charity or do you think that they're too far gone and and i think the brand is is dead Mm -hmm. which is an actually an unfortunate thing because before susie green mermaids was halfway sane what's susie green's role susie green was the ceo who recently resigned okay but before susie green mermaids had a landing page on their website that said that most kids who, who have dysphoria will grow up to be gay. Most kids grow out of it. And surgical intervention is, is to be seen as a last resort. So they were, you know, we would all agree with it. These are the turf positions, if you were. Mm-hmm. If you were, if you would. <laughs> so these, these positions were completely sane. But then Susie Green came along. Susie Green is someone who, like, completely openly on her TED Talk, spoke about how when her, when her child was still a toddler, her son was still a toddler, her husband didn't like the fact that he played with girls' toys. And completely openly, in this TED Talk, without any further explanation, she starts describing how the kid was put on hormones and then castrated in Thailand at 16. Her 16th birthday, she brought him to Thailand and castrated him because she had convinced him, groomed him, into thinking that he was actually a girl. This is a young gay kid, a young kid who would have grown up to be gay. That's what I believe she did. And I think that what happened with Mermaids is Mermaids then became an organization that acted as a kind of after-the-fact defense of what she did to her child. Mm -hmm. So Mermaids is an organization that has been poisoned by one person, then two. Later on, Helen Weberly came along, another one of these disgraceful doctors who was prescribing these drugs to kids. And a lot of parents who some of whom I, I believe will probably end up being homophobic, you know, some of whom are just confused and think they're doing the right thing and think that mermaids are the experts. But the whole organisation was transformed by Susie Green. And, like, she has no expertise in this at all. She's an IT consultant. Mm. So they won't survive the inquiry. Uh-huh. 
And I don't think that the brand will survive the inquiry either. Yeah. At a recent Battle of Ideas dinner, you made a speech which people can read on your Substack, and you asked the question, how has this ideology achieved so much so quickly? Well, basically what you found with the internet was a way that people could escape their individual echo chambers and speak to others. So you had a number of different echo chambers online. You had young kids who were self-diagnosing on Tumblr. You had academics who were forming what you might call a a false body of knowledge in postmodern thought and queer theory. You had predators who were looking for victims. And you had grifters who were sensing an opportunity. And all these people online, they formed a giant bubble Mm -hmm. that also unfortunately brought in people from the media, publishing, theatre, even therapy. And they formed a false consensus based on, as I say, these kind of repeated thought-terminating cliches, like wrong side of history, but also intimidation and threats of cancellation, if you disagreed with any of it. Mm. So, you know, the Twitter just enabled the pylons and it enabled the bullying and it enabled the the concerted letter-writing campaigns and, and all this type of thing. Actually, I have a theory that another another reason we are where we are is because of spell check. Because uh, now lunatics, you can't really tell they're lunatics because they've run their letters through spell check. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, before we could tell before immediately... Before you go, the this guy, we don't need to take him seriously. But now everything is impeccably spelled. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think in, in many ways, Spellcheck has brought about, you know, the end of the Western world. <laughs> but, you know, it's, 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 it's been a perfect storm of stupidity and cowardice and groupthink and all these things. And it would not have been possible, I think, without the Internet, mm-hmm. you know. When does this end for you? When are you going to be able to get back to comedy? Well, let me put it this way. I've already written my next show, Mm -hmm. and it's the Father Ted musical. And I'm not really interested in doing anything until that's produced. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep fighting for it. And another thing that I definitely want to do is, like the Father Ted musical was more than just a show that I felt could be written, because I never wanted to waste people's time with, like, excuse me to them, but the Sex Pistols reunion. You know, there would be nothing sadder than that. I wanted to create something that was fresh, but put the series to bed, right? We never had a proper ending to the series. So that's what the musical is. It's the yeah. We've actually, I actually want to call it Father Ted, the final episode. Hmm. You know, but it wasn't just that for me. This was my pension. This was like the payoff. Like we don't get, I don't get royalties for for Father Ted. I haven't got royalties since the third time it was repeated, or third or fourth. So. This was a way I had of getting a kind of a nest egg to take me into my old age. And I was very proud of it. So I'm not doing anything until that's made. Mm-hmm. You know, it's too good to let kind of die on the vine. Well, let's hope you can have it made. Whatever production company you end up doing it, I look forward to uh, seeing it on the stage. Thank you. And so I want to ask you about Twitter. Mm. Elon Musk follows through on his Twitter amnesty and lets you back on. How will you behave? What have you learned from being away for two years? You know, we, we were talking off camera about 
the world now addicted to our phones. Has there been any blessing for you being off Twitter? How do you feel about the possibility, by the time this episode is released, you could very well be on Twitter. What, what does that mean well, to you? Funnily enough, the activism really got a boost when I was kicked off Twitter. I went on to Substack, and since, since I've been kicked off, I've interviewed possibly hundreds of, of people who've been involved in this fight. And I think it now stands as a record of these years that I'm very, very proud of. Mm-hmm. Also, the Substack has been pretty influential, and it's doing very well. I'm not sure I would have had the energy to compose, you know, proper pieces of prose if I'd been on Twitter. So it's turned me into a better writer, I think, faster writer and a more confident one. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think eventually when I get back on Twitter, I guess the only thing I would ever change is I'd have more of a... You do have a lot of power. You forget how much power you have when you tweet things. So you got to be careful. The only people I now want to put on blast, as it were, which is a phrase meaning you, you show other people what people are up to, are these people who bully women. They're still the ones that I feel should be exposed, should be shamed, mm-hmm. and should be fearing my, my arrival back on, online. You know? Like, again, bull, bullies. Ex- exposed, yeah. Shamed? Maybe not shamed. But, like, you know, I do think, as I say, the worst thing you can do is bully a woman. I think that that is really the lowest thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe you shouldn't be shamed, but you should certainly feel shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certainly shame when it comes to the more extreme end of things. And when it's trans women in prisons like Demi Minor in New Jersey raping and impregnating other women. And I think it was earlier this week that the BBC reported on a trans woman who had sexually abused a 13 or 14 year old girl. Because that's a man abusing or raping a girl. Let's be oh, clear yeah. about that. So those are serious issues. And, and here's the thing I always argued as well. Those people aren't trans. Like, you know, I have several transsexual friends, right? They have nothing in common with these people. Mm. And yet, like, J.K. Rowling got into trouble for misgendering a man who raped and killed a 13-year-old girl. You know? When was that? It was just a few days ago. Uh-huh. It's like he's got a fucking scorpion tattoo on his face. Wow. And these criminals are just playing people for fools. Mm. And these middle-class morons are going along with it. Yeah. You know? So I don't want to shame anyone, but I certainly want to hold up a mirror to what they're doing yeah. and to show them this is what you support, this is who, you, this is who you've become. Yeah. Well, you showed me the lesbian dating app. Is it called Her? Yeah. Which you went on self-IDing as a woman with a rather amusing photograph, I should say. And, but you showed me the other men self-IDing as women who are on the app. Yeah. And some of them aren't even attempting to look like women not at all they're just creeps they're just creeps and not just that but if a lesbian complains that these obvious men are on their app the lesbian will be thrown off Hmm. so for people like graham norton to know all this and to you know not condemn it i don't know how he can sleep at night well you work with graham norton on father ted and, and father ted i think was not his starting point but certainly was a big boost in his Mm. early career how do you feel about him saying that cancel culture doesn't exist that it's actually accountability culture well he like what am i being held accountable for what have i done except defend women's rights tried to stop people from trolling lesbians on their own apps Mm -hmm. you know objected to the medicalization and the experimentation on children what have i done Mm -hmm. what why am i being held accountable you know 
And the reason is the same reason as J.K. Rowling. No reason. There's no reason. I just refused to accept a completely incoherent ideology, you yeah. know? Well, Graham, where does it end for you? Because this could be an eternal battle. This could be... There's always new things coming up. At what well, point do you feel like you'll have you achieved see, what you need to achieve in this fight? I think Mermaid's closing will be, a, will be a huge vindication, as you say. But in general, I don't think this is a fight we should ever stop. Because really what we're doing is manning the barricades against whatever weirdness the internet throws at us next mm-hmm. you know this was like i always think that if the satanic panic which was contained to a few states in the american midwest if the internet had existed at that time who knows what damage the satanic panic might have done mm-hmm. this ideology is a good example of what happens when a, a crazy idea escapes a few crazy bubbles and takes over the world and we really need to be on, on our guard now. Now that we, we're living with the internet, it's too convenient for us to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So we have to be on our guard against these kinds of threats. So I'm hoping that all the trauma we've been through, what me and all the women I support, to defend women. lost livelihoods and relationships and friendships and, and family uh, members, I'm hoping in the end so that it will act as a, a lesson for the future, mm-hmm. you know, because we can't let it happen again. Mm-hmm. We can't let it happen to such an extent that children are hurt, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, on that note, Graham Linehan, it's been my pleasure to speak with you and an honour, and I really think you're an incredibly brave man. Oh, cheers. So, so I really appreciate that. that.